There are about 2 million people who identify as transgender in the United States. This is only an estimation by the Human Rights Campaign. I looked for an exact number, but the reality is that there is no way of knowing for sure because many people still don't identify themselves as transgender on paper. The word transgender is a term used to identify people whose gender identity is different from the sex assigned at birth. Today, I speak to Rebecca, a transgender woman who relocated to Texas from Mexico to escape transphobia there, and who suffered having to be detained in the male quarters at ICE in Texas. She is part of the voices featured in a new docu-series that will be coming out on February 25th called Trans in Trumpland. The docu-series examines the struggles and resiliency of the transgender community under the Trump administration and features intersectional issues such as race, immigration, and poverty. The series was created and produced by Transway Films, a trans-owned production company. Hola, yo soy Andrea Márquez, and this is La Nequis, a show brought to you by La Red Hispana and the Hispanic Communications Network for the new generation of Latinx. This season, we want to focus on empowering you to follow your passion and be smart about chasing your dreams while speaking to Latinx from all over, de diferentes colores y sabores. Thank you for all of your support. Our community keeps growing, so make sure to join Latinx on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Latinx. You can also find out more on our website at wearelatinx.com. My name is Rebecca. I am a Latina immigrant who immigrated from Mexico into the United States at a young age. My mom made that hard decision to move into the United States because she knew I was different. She knew I was different and she knew that I needed a place where I can be safe, a, a place where I can be myself. At a young age, I came in with us uh, with a visitor's visa, but at a young age, you don't know that stuff. You know, you just thought you were being moved to a different city. And then I started going to school here at the age of 10. I graduated from high school from Los Fresnos, actually. I went to college into the culinary arts program and thinking that, you know, I didn't know that this was not my country. So I started feeling the whole immigration laws and getting to know, you know, I didn't know I was illegally here, you know, and then um, I was detained by ICE and three different occasions. And then I was actually in four different facilities under ICE. And that was very, very, very hard. It was under the Trump administration that all this stuff happened, you know, where he was targeting a lot of the immigrants. And it was, it was hard for me being a trans, you know, as well, you know, this, these facilities are not properly educated. They're not properly trained to house trans individuals. So it was very, very hard for me. Being trans is already, you know, comes already with a lot of challenges. I feel like even more so when you're a Latina. In the Latino culture, being trans is just not, like I said, it's not talked about. It's not something that is easy. Being trans and being a Latina, what are the added challenges to that? Being a Latina and being trans is very difficult itself because we live in a culture of machismo. It's a culture where, you know, the male dominates no matter what. The male is the one that gives the orders. The male, you know, runs the house. It's all the machismo, 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 machismo. And uh, growing up in Mexico, you know, I, I was in Mexico till the age of 10. You know, it was very difficult because even within my own school, I was always doing 
the feminine stuff. I was in cheerleading. I was in gymnastics. I was in dance. Even the parents of these kids, there was hatred towards me because I was different. Because I was, I didn't know I was trans back then. I knew I was different. But a lot of these parents even like were were mad because, you know, I was the captain of the dancing team and their kids have been there for so long and they can never be the captain. But it's like my teacher, my teacher would always tell them, okay, well, if your daughter can learn the steps as good as he can learn the steps, I can, you know, make her the captain. But apparently, you know, he has talent. He's able to to be a captain and show other people if I'm not there, you know? So it was very, very, very hard, you know, the whole machismo and even the moms being like pinche joto like you know it's like it wasn't difficult for me because I was able to let it go you know I love doing what I did and I didn't care what people said about me what people thought about me you know I would just let it go and move on you know it made me even want to do try harder to do better stuff and show them and prove them wrong my mom saw that the attacks were there so she wanted for me to live a better life and that's why she made the decision to move into the United States, because if I would have stayed in Mexico, you don't know what could have been of me, you know, even, even the parents, even, you know, I, this was elementary, what was going to happen once I moved and transferred to middle school and then went to high school, you know. Maybe you have seen that trans people are gaining more visibility from celebrities like Laverne Cox and Jazz Jennings, but the reality is that they still face many challenges beyond discrimination. Currently, there are bills active in different states that prohibit healthcare for transgender youth, exclude transgender youth from athletics, and that add restrictions on identification documents. Trans people also face harassment on a daily basis, which affects well-being and mental health. There were at least 350 transgender and gender-diverse people murdered worldwide between October 2019 to September 2020, according to research from Transrespect versus Transphobia Worldwide. If you're looking for more information about existing laws and policies that affect trans people every day, a great resource is the National Center for Transgender Equality. The machismo is predominant, you know, and like it's hard to understand. And not only the not only the machismo, but being Catholic, that plays a very important part into it as well. Being raised Catholic, being raised, you know, you're going through the wrong path. You know, this is not what God wants for you. You know, you're doing wrong. And always having that in your ear, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you know, makes you even think and doubt about yourself. Like, is this really who I am? Why am I different? It was, it was hard. It's hard from, from a Hispanic family to be trans because they're not well educated in, in it because once it comes to it, they like we say we don't talk about it we don't open up about it it's always you know oh okay never mind oh he oh no no oh no let's not talk about that my mom became a christian my mom's a christian pastor so she had to fight that in herself to understand that no matter what i'm still her daughter i'm still gonna be here even in her religious beliefs she still had to find a way to still love me as her daughter, no matter what, you know, she is my mother, even if her religious beliefs are a little bit different, she was able to open up. I learned, I, I personally learned a lot about her through the interview. I didn't know like a lot of this stuff that she was holding in, 
until we had the interview with her. And it made me cry. It, made, it was very sentimental to, to hear her from her own words. And, you know, I knew she loved me and everything, but I always had that little doubt because, you know, she was Christian. She's Christian. She's a pastor. I always had that little doubt of how much love she really had for me, even though if I'm her daughter, but her religious beliefs are different. And, you know, the whole machismo, the whole being Hispanic, she always worried about what other people were going to think. You know, she was afraid that they were going to target me or try to do something to me for being different. And, and it was very, very, very emotional to actually hear the interview and listen to her and understand her points of view. You know, she talked about, you know, thinking that I was just going through a phase. You know, this is just a phase. She's going to grow out of it. Uh, being as a gay boy when I was young and then I grew up and you know started realizing and understanding what really being trans was really and uh, really about and being myself and not worrying about what other people thought of me. Each episode of Trans in Trumpland focuses on a different trans person who is living in a U.S. state where they face transphobic laws as well as discrimination and violence. The director travels across the country shedding light on the trans experience in America and also allowing him to come to terms with his own experience as a trans man. Apart from Rebecca, the series also features a 13-year-old Ash in North Carolina, home to the bathroom ban, and Shane from Idaho, a Native American Army veteran who speaks out against the Trump administration's trans military ban. Since day one, he took office, he eliminated the LGBT website in the White House. Whenever you went into the White House website, the whole LGBT website was canceled out, you know? So right then and there in his campaign, he was like, I'm pro LGBT, I'm pro everybody. And what did he do on his first day? It was like, he eliminated us. Then he took, he did the, the trans ban on military individuals, you know? And that was very hard for a lot of uh, our trans siblings because, you know, they've been in the military for so long. And then just for them to say, you know what, you're on leave now because the president decided to not have you here anymore. So, you know, they've been fighting for a country for so long. And then for them to be telling them, you know what, you're worthless now. Very hard as well. So we, we try to showcase what we went through all these four years with the Trump administration. And being in a Republican state, you know, it was even harder because, you know, you got those stares, you got the looks, you know, and then they felt like they had the right to, to hatred. I personally also try to showcase the immigrant part of it. And I, I wanted for more than anything to educate people, educate people of uh, what a trans individual is our daily life, what we go through. Can you talk to me a little bit about your experience being detained in the male quarters at ICE? Um, I was detained three different times in four different facilities. The first mm -hmm. time I was detained, I was housed with a hundred men. It started off a little bit difficult because these guys have been detained for I don't know how long. And then to see a female looking individual, to a trans individual to come into, it was you can say it was it was difficult, but some of them had a lot of respect for me because I was a bilingual individual and was able to help them out whenever, because when they're detained on ICE, all, the, all their documentation is in English. They do not have any document. They don't give them any documentation in Spanish. A lot of these people don't understand 
they can't read the English. They don't understand English. A lot of people even signed their own deportation without them even knowing because they didn't know what they were saying. I got there and like, I was bullied at first, you know, like, oh, what are you doing here? And the whole machismo name calling. Once they got to know me and understand who I was, like I said, the, the lack of education in the Latino community is what actually affects them because they didn't, they didn't know what I, I went through. They didn't know, you know, how that I identified as a female. To them, I was just, you know, somebody else with long hair, a, a, a gay boy with long hair, you know, they didn't, they didn't know I identified as a, a female and I, I thought I was trans. And then once I started, you know, talking to them and educating them more of trans individuals, a lot of them, it was an eye opener for them. Like, oh, wow. You know, I didn't know people really, trans people really existed. And that, that was such a thing. And I'm like, yeah, it's just that we as Latinos don't talk about it. And it's hard to understand, but once they were educated, they were more respectful. You know, they, they treated me as a, as a female towards the end of my incarceration. And they were very grateful that I was bilingual and I was able to help them out. You know, I'm still a human being. The second time I was incarcerated, I was put in a mental facility, in a medical facility, because they thought I was, I was psycho. They thought I was mentally ill for uh, identifying as trans. That was one of the hardest ones because being in a medical facility, you they they're checking up on you 24 seven. I w I didn't have access to any uh, commissary. I didn't have access to religious services. I didn't have to access to recreational time because I was under a medical facility and they thought I was crazy. They thought I was I was wrong for identifying myself as a trans individual. And they di I didn't have access to my medications. I didn't have access to my hormones. It was very, very difficult because putting that into my head every day, letting me know, oh, well, you're here because you're psycho. You're here because you're crazy. You're here because you, I'm like, well, why can't I just have everything like everybody else? Why can't I buy, if I want a chocolate, why can't I buy myself a chocolate? Oh, because you're in a medical facility and there's other people in the medical facility that are diabetic. So we can't have them have access to that stuff. Or, you know, some people have strictly a strict diet and they're here in the medical facility. So, you know, since they can't have it, why would you have the privilege? I'm like, because I'm not sick. I'm not crazy. You know, you put me here because you made that choice. The third time I was detained, I was transferred to two different facilities. The first, on the first facility, I was there for a month. I was housed by myself. I didn't have access to anybody. I couldn't talk to anybody. So that mentally started putting a toll on me. Like, what am I doing here? You know, you got to have communication with people. You know, we're human beings. We, you can't just be put in a room by yourself and you know what am I going to do walk around like crazy from there I was transferred to another facility where there was other trans individuals and this this facility in particular was very hard because even the correctional officers on a daily basis kept on telling us well to me you're nothing but a man so I'm going to treat you like a man here so every day was a constant thing you know what to me you're nothing but a man you're, you're nothing but a man and that's how I'm going to treat you. Being like constantly told, oh, you're nothing but a man. You're nothing but a man. And, you know, being denied my hormones, you know, paid a physical toll on me as well as a, a mental toll on me. Like, you know, why are you taking away my hormones that it's something that I need? You know, it's something that makes me who I am.
-hmm. And I'm very happy we have a, a new administration that has been like pro LGBT mm -hmm. since day one, you know, he put uh, Dr. Levine to work side by, by him on the health administration part. And, you know, she, she is a trans individual. And yeah, just to see that makes me very happy coming from an administration that tried to eliminate us, try to eradicate us to now actually having somebody that we can look up to a trans individual working side by side with our president. Dr. Rachel Levine is President Joe Biden's Assistant Secretary of Health, a pediatrician who became the first openly transgender federal official to be confirmed by the U.S. Senate. Levine graduated from Harvard College and the Tulane University School of Medicine. She was Pennsylvania's Physician General, where she signed an order that allowed law enforcement officers to carry anti-overdose medication, which has been credited for saving the lives of almost 1,000 opioid users. She also served as Secretary of Health in Pennsylvania. So let me ask you, one of the things I saw also in the documentary that your family is very supportive. We have an, an upper, like glimpse of what it's like to be with your family. And one of the things that really warmed my heart was seeing your um, nieces and nephews. Oh, the interview. They were so adorable because they, they admired you. They loved you. Like you're the cool aunt. It's just so, it, it makes you have hope for you know, younger generations, because they don't see all of these things. They don't, it's just like a normal, oh, okay, our aunt is our aunt. Yes, and that, that interview was very emotional for me. I wasn't there. Uh, I wasn't there when they actually interviewed them. I was, we were out filming somewhere else while they were being interviewed. I was after our dinner scene, we had our family dinner together. And after the dinner scene, I had, we, we had to go shoot another shoot somewhere else and they stayed behind and they interviewed them. When I, when they showed me the interview, I was crying. Like I was crying because, you know, these are my, it's my niece and my nephews. And like for them to, to have that support, you know, to, to, to see me that way, it was like, it was very emotional and heartbreaking. There was an instance where um, I'm very supportive of them. They're, uh, they do a lot of sports and I always go to their sports events. And there was an instance in one of the sports events where uh, my nephew was competing and his teammates were like, who's that screaming for you? And he's like, that's my aunt. And he's like, your aunt? She's like, yeah, she identifies as a female. So that's my aunt. And you're going to respect that. She's like, I don't go out talking about your family, how your mom and dad don't live together and, you know, stuff like that. So why should you come and tell me how I should live my life and how I should respect my family? I was crying. I was crying for him to step up and, you know, tell them. And from there on, his, like, his friends and his teammates, like, respected me as such, you know. But it's the education that we lack in, in the Latino culture, in the Latino community that a lot of people are close-minded about. What advice would you give to people who struggle being themselves or who feel like they won't be accepted for who they are? More than anything is love yourself. You got to love yourself to be able to understand and to be able to have that 
energy and give out that energy. You know, if you're scared to be out and about, be open about it, that's going to show off. So a lot of people are going to see you like, do you really, is that really you or who, you know, why do you have to hide? No, just be yourself, love yourself, find a community that's very accepting. A lot of, a lot, we have, there's a lot of trans individuals out there who you can connect with, you know, and just be yourself. It starts with education, you know, educate whoever's around you about trans individuals. You know, it's very, very important to let them know what you're going through, that you're different. So they can, they can see you as, as who you are, as who you really are. And you don't have to hide under a shadow, you know, open up about it. Because if you, if you close the doors, they're not going to be able to see beyond those doors. Educate yourself, not, not only educate others, but educate yourself on how to educate others, you know, because you can't just go out in the world and say, oh, I'm trans, I'm trans, I'm trans. No, there's, there's more to it than just being out and about, being proud about it. Yeah, that's, it helps a lot, but there's also education that we need to do of what, a real, what really a trans individual is, because there's a difference between being gay and being trans. It's a totally different spectrum. Yeah, it's still in the LGBT category, but it's still a whole total spectrum. You know, it's a totally different side. It's not just being gay, it's about being trans and educating people of what trans is. How do you suggest we approach someone? I feel like the proper way is, what are your pronouns? What are your pronouns? Okay. And that will give you a sense of how they identify. Do they identify as a female? Do they identify as a, fe- of, of a male? Or do they identify as both? Most of the time when we have gatherings, that's how we introduce ourselves. Why should we watch this documentary series? One of the main things is so you can get educated of what a trans individual and the life a trans individual goes on a daily basis. Second of all is to showcase what the La Paz administration did this whole past four years to try to eradicate us and eliminate us. You know, we're here, we're human beings and we're not going anywhere. I hope a lot of people watch this so they can get the education and understanding being a trans, being an immigrant, you know, being a, a, a young trans person on our first episode. Our first episode talks about, you know, a trans individual. And then we have a woman of color on, I think it's our third or fourth episode. And then we have a military individual. Each episode talks about different things, have their different stories of what the administration, the old past Trump administration, try to get rid of. You know, the young boy with the bathroom law, me as being a Latina, the immigration law, the woman of color, and uh, military ban. So it, it targets all four different stories. Trends in Trump land is debuting February the 25th on Topic through Amazon Prime and Apple TV. You can learn a little bit more about me through my Instagram, which is tsrebecca1388. Before this whole pandemic started, um, I was looking into actually open opening a safe place for trans individuals, a nonprofit organization down in Bronzeville, where I'm from, because I see that we have the lack of that. You know, we don't we don't have a safe place. I was looking into you know connecting with different people and actually opening not only for the trans community, for, but for the immigrant community. 
they can have a safe place where they can come in, you know, showcase what a trans person is, especially down in the valley, because down in the valley is there, it's still very Latino predominant, it's very machista, it's very, you know, when I go down there, like, a lot of people just look at me like, what, what? And I'm like, yeah, like, this is my hometown, this is where I'm from. And a lot of people approach me, you know, and they're like, oh, I'm very happy for you. Yeah, I've, I've seen you, what you've been through. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you are who you are and you're free. You know, I, I have a lot of love for a lot of people down there. There's a lot of people, you know, my friends, my high school friends, they're like, wow, you changed a lot. I'm like, yeah, but this is me. This is who I am. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode with Rebecca. You can find all of the information for Trans and Trumpland in the description of this episode. Remember to support us by rating this podcast on Apple. As you know, this will help us continue to work on this show and bring guests who inspire and motivate you. This is Latinx. I'm your host, Andrea Marquez. Thank you for listening.